We back in the lab, we making some noise, so go turn your decibels up. Yeah. Black skin, white coat, oh no, who was nice as us? Made Jimmerson, really told us no limits, so we about to take this up. Went from mixing in the kitchen to the lab, and now, now I can make this up. Be shy, be scientist, be shy, be scientist. We shining a light on the people of color to show them how fly it is. Be shy, be scientist, be shy, be scientist. We back in the lab with white coats on our back, trying to show what time it is. Hey. Welcome back to the B-Scientist Podcast, a podcast produced by the Black Science Coalition and Institute. When you hear this noise, we just dropped our in-podcast citation. You can find them all on our citation archive on b-i.org backslash B-Scientist. I am geoarchaeologist Jordan Chapman, and as always, we have co-host and chemist Jana Carpenter. And today we have Dr. Deborah Kamen-Gaz. She has an impressive background in epidemiology and currently works as a postdoctoral associate at the University of Vermont Clinical Biochemistry Research Center. She is also one of the leaders and co-organizers of Black and Cardio. To list a small fraction of her talent, she is multilingual and she has been rewarded on several platforms for her research. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and I guess just for our baseline knowledge, could you explain what epidemiology is and how that kind of relates to your research with cardiovascular disease? I'll try to go with the simplest explanation of epidemiology, which is the study of diseases, especially how they are distributed and then looking at some of the, uh, some of the risk factors and uh, it, uh, when I look at epidemiology, I see a lot of statistics and I see how statistics is related to the to diseases. And then I see how we can uh, exploit uh, those or understand those numbers in order for us to prevent diseases, in order for us to understand uh, some of the issues uh, surrounding some of those diseases. And uh, epidemiology obviously is related to cardiovascular diseases because uh, cardiovascular diseases are the number one killer in the world and in the United States and among black people. So understanding the risk factors of cardiovascular diseases, understanding how they are distributed, understanding some of these long-term effects are very important if we want to do something about um, these um to do something about uh, preventing and potentially uh, figuring out where the treatment for uh, cardiovascular diseases, uh, what treatments work uh, best, for instance. So it's it's a very large field. It's an extremely large field. I'm trying to kind of give you some some simpler explanation, but it's very large. Yeah, I, I could only imagine, especially, I guess, with all the statistical analysis, you have to use lots of different data software. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just learned how to use MATLAB and a little bit of R, but that's all I know. <laughs> yeah, R is a beast too. Let me let me tell you. Yes, yes, R is. A, it's. I guess it's a, something that you just. The more you practice, the better you learn, mm-hmm. and that's that's the only way you can do it. Like obviously, if you use it for a year, I guess it's year. a lot like learning a language. Yeah, basically. It is a language, basically, I feel like. Yeah. For those who, for our audience who doesn't know what we're talking about with MATLAB or R, they're basically coding programs that help you do statistical analysis. I have not used MATLAB a lot, but I have used R, and it's basically all just code. There's not really a lot of graphics to it. Um, I think MATLAB does have a little bit more graphics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but you can do great graphic things with, yeah, with for sure. R. Like, like, I think the good part with R is just the copy and paste stealing other oh, people's yeah. codes. 
up with new codes and um, just just tweaking as long as you understand the basics and like kind of go can go deep in the coding you can do amazing things you don't have to create your own code you can tweak somebody else's mm -hmm. code and yeah go from there right so um going back to um cardiovascular diseases um what are the, some of the challenges you have working in cardio I don't know if I can call them challenges because I guess uh, I don't like the diseases themselves are, are what they are and we are really trying to understand them. But I think for me, what bothers me the most about cardiovascular diseases are these uh, racial differences. And somebody mentioned that we, we need to start being clear about what is happening mm -hmm. there. It's mostly the racist differences that we, we see in... Uh, like cardiovascular diseases and how they do affect black communities how a lot of things are preventable and i think covid really showed us what's how diseases how health disparities do happen in a very short amount of time how people can and how the the, the health disparities happen in a very short amount of time but how the consequences can last uh, generations mm -hmm. so i think that's yeah that's really what's bothers me the most is those differences they should not exist mm -hmm. yeah I, I guess kind of going off of that really quickly is like healthcare system mm -hmm. is it gets so it's terrible like i don't I have no other way of saying it but it's just i i think like in general uh the way that that black and brown people are are treated in, in healthcare is is quite terrible and i could imagine that being difficult to gather information that's not like overtly mm -hmm like racist <laughs> right yes yes definitely i think the we did we, we're talking about systemic racism we're talking about institutional uh, racism which in its in themselves because i guess some people feel that um the definitions might be slightly different but they are they deal with these institutions if an institution is going to do good things for society, you will expect, especially in this country, you will expect that everything will be done in order to make it so that it's harder for Black people to access uh, the resources of said institution. And that's the same with medicine. Medicine is about the health of people. It is, it is one of the most fundam uh, fundamental rights that we have. And uh, unfortunately, the people have the right to good health. It should, it's a given. It should be a given. But unfortunately, with the history of this country, it means that some people will have the right to have good health. Some other people will not have the right to have good health. And institutions are going to be implemented in the way that make that uh, uh, makes it so that people, mostly people of color and particularly black people, black Americans are going to suffer more because of that. So yeah, medicine is not different and medicine is an institution. As long as it is an institution, as long as it is a system, you are going to have issues uh, around race. That was beautifully said. Thank you for <laughs> for understanding where, where I was going with that because I, I just couldn't quite put that into words, but that is, yeah, it's, it's difficult. No, no. Yeah, I'm also going to use that as a, a shameless plug for um, ComSci Concepts. Um, they are putting on a workshop called Combating COVID with Black Communities, where if you're interested um, and you're listening to this podcast right now, you 
can learn how to do science communication and also learn how to use science communication to elevate black and underrepresented communities. Um, that is happening on June 2nd, and we will put that into our citation where you can get the link and then you can register for the event if you want to. Um, but yeah, that's just a shameless plug. Um, but yeah, I think you touched on a lot of things like the the health inequalities that we see in this country or that were definitely exaggerated um, during COVID. But and um, and we also know that even before COVID, um, like you said, like a number of African-Americans infected by um, health um, and cardio related diseases, it just super high compared to the rest of the population and even other ones like diabetes and other things like that are just just it's sad. Yeah, it, it, it is sad. And when you look at cardiovascular, I'm also, so the, the thing with cardiovascular diseases, which probably should, what, that's where I should have started, is that they do encompass a lot of these cardiometabolic issues. So when you look at the metabolism, you are looking at uh, diabetes, you are looking at uh, some of the other uh, metabolic issues. So like I, I, I like using the term cardiometabolic or cardiometabolic and cardiovascular because the cardiovascular system is huge by itself but then you have all these other diseases that feed into each other which is a problem with cardiovascular diseases once you have one it becomes a risk factor for a bunch of others and uh, so you have to make it you have to make it so that people don't get to that one diseases that is just uh, an entry point at least for some people to a bunch of other diseases mm-hmm. and so you have to deal with these some of these present preventable issues like diet physical activity access to good health and all these different things but when you look at those the, the preventable things that's when you start understanding the history of this country and it gets very complicated because food and physical activity and depend or are highly dependable on where you live. But then when you start looking at the history of like where people live in this country, you have like issues around redlining, you have issues around uh, segregation. Mm-hmm. So that feeds into that because now you find yourself in a space where you don't get to eat good food. You cannot uh, exercise, maybe because you don't have green spaces. Because some people like this, just having a green space, having a park, a park where you feel safe, very important. Or having the time. I think we don't. Like, I think that speaks to privilege. You don't. We don't think about the idea of time to exercise. Yeah. Time to cook. Because if you have a store that is where you can walk to the store or you can drive because you have a car, that is in itself very privileged. If you have a park next to your house, that is very important. If you can go to the park and not feel uh, and, and not feel uh, and feel safe, if you have walkable uh, spaces, because in some places you cannot walk because there are no sidewalks for people to do that. Mm-hmm. I love that we're talking about this because it, it really does go into the deeper like classes system that we are in yeah, yeah. because even, you know, transportation is a part of that. And when you just think about how many different aspects go into just living, it gets, mm-hmm. it gets so complex. And I, I, I always tell myself like, Oh, I, went in, I always went into STEM because I, I don't, I hate history and stuff like that. But you know, the deeper that I'm in, in, in STEM, I'm like, 
Now, this is all kind of all a part of the same system of like inequality and and there's so many deeper aspects about it that we have to uncover because it's all related. Oh God. <laughs> I could talk about that for hours, but Jordan, did you did you wanna include something? Yeah, um I'm I'm wondering, um, so these are super complicated questions and issues, but you gotta start somewhere. So I'm wondering, how did you get into um, becoming, uh, how did you get into this work? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, that's a long story. Right. <laughs> because I, I am a lot of things. I just realized that at some point. I'm like, oh, well. So I have a master's degree in uh, biological sciences. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was just a wet lab scientist. And I was, uh, my work was on uh, 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 hematology. Mostly I was looking at blood clotting and uh, like thrombosis and hemostasis. So if I'll just give a simple example. Think about our body has uh, as this space where you have highways and you have roads. Think about the blood as just this very clean system that goes from one place to the other, like getting rid of the waste and then giving you uh, nutrients when uh, you, you need them. But then think about blood clotting as if like a blockage of your uh, your system. Remember when I told you that once you have one issue, one cardiovascular system issue, then it is an entry point to a lot of uh, other issues. Mm-hmm. Having these uh, dysregulated uh, coagulation uh, issues, that is an entry point for some cardiovascular diseases. So I was trying to, when I was doing my biological uh, sciences degree, I was trying to understand a very specific protein that is involved in uh, the, uh, like the formation of uh, blood clots, or at least blood clotting, it's good. It's good, but when it becomes dysregulated, then we will start having issues because you need the blood clotting to deal with the trauma and a bunch of other issues. But so I was trying to understand that protein and uh, so I, uh, I was a trained biologist, but biology, especially molecular biology and cellular biology, it's very intense. And uh, so I was like, okay, I love to understand all these different ideas around it, but I don't necessarily like being in the lab because I'm very frustrated. So I did know that I loved understanding diseases, but I also needed to understand some of these other aspects around diseases. I wanted to deal with uh, population-based sciences. So I applied to a couple of programs uh, in epidemiology. I also applied to uh, a program in medical sciences at my university. It was an interdisciplinary program in medical sciences. So all the medical sciences fields that were not related to biology were included in that. And uh, they had uh, like a path for it was focused on epidemiology. So I decided to take that path and I decided to get uh, my PhD in medical sciences with a strong focus on epidemiology. And my PhD uh, thesis was on the epidemiology of of diabetes in African migrants to the United States. So I was trying to understand how living from uh, the the African, how that migration, uh, or the migration itself, how did it influence 
the risk of diabetes and the risk factors for diabetes. Looking at numbers and doing the usual epidemiology thing that we do. And uh, so what, what I did find out or what was clear from the beginning is that the longer you stay here, the more likely you are to become diabetic and you have a bunch of other preventable risk factors that do increase and they are like uh, uh, they are really related to some of the things that we previously talked about. But it really shows that that process of that increase in the risk of diabetes, this is about being black. <laughs> because this, uh, I did another study, uh, a smaller study where you you do see the difference between uh, uh, southern uh, uh, people from sub-Saharan Africa, which are with people with this kind of melanin, and then people from North Africa, and some of them, uh, quite a large number of them, uh, are uh, and dark, less lighter than than people from sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, when you are from North Africa, in the United States, you are considered white. Right. So for people in sub-Saharan Africa, that's, that is a process. Basically, the, the, when you see that, that increase in the risk of diabetes, it is about being black because whatever advantage that you had on the African continent is you lose it. And that tells you a lot mm -hmm. about cardiovascular diseases and why the risk is higher in this country. It is about some is this, uh, it's, uh, it, it has to do uh, with this process of blackness. It has to do with the way that society considers blackness. So that was for my PhD. So I did a lot of <laughs> epidemiology then. And then uh, during the conference, I uh, one of my mentor, was that uh, Hopkins introduced me to one of my mentors. She introduced me to my current mentor and she was like, oh, I want you to meet her. You do a lot of epidemiology and then you have this understanding of biology and uh, some of these issues related to thrombosis. Meet her. So I met my current advisor. Back then, I did not understand exactly who she was. So I was like, oh, well, she's a nice lady. She's really cool. She's very outgoing. I like her. Mm -hmm. And then we interviewed for an hour. And I really liked the way that she was, like, we, we were interacting. And she invited me on campus. So then I showed up at the University of Vermont. That's when I understood where I was going. Uh, they have... Uh, the currently our lab or the lab where I'm located at, it's the lab that is involved in some of the biggest clinical trials on COVID-19 and a lot of the studies, the large epidemiological, uh, like clinical and uh, uh, epidemiological studies that we talk about, they send their biorepository, so the place that looks at all these uh, biological sampling and stuff is from, uh, is in our lab. So I'm part of that lab, but my project is uh, mostly focused on the regards, which is uh, uh, the reasons for geographic and racial differences in stroke. One of the largest, if not the largest study of its kind in the United States. We have like uh, more than 30,000 participants that we have followed uh, for over 10 years. And uh, so we have followed them. So there's how many? Uh, more than 30,000. Wow. Okay. 
yeah we have followed them for years we are like we are in the same i feel like when you look at these studies we have like the big studies you have the framingham studies you have the mesa you have the regard those are the studies that actually determine a lot of the things that comes to about uh, like because epidemiology is very much tied into policy because of the numbers so i feel like we have a lot of weights when it comes to some of the things that we are publishing, because it does influence a lot about what we, uh, a lot of what we know about these diseases. So I got involved with the regards. I discovered that my mentor was very well known. I was like, oh, great. I liked her before I knew. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think about it. Like, I just liked her as a person. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so uh, but then the COVID happened. And COVID happened. So now we have, you have to understand COVID and how do you understand COVID? You have to get, one other thing about the regard is that we oversample in the South where black people live. So we oversample black Americans. So what happened there is that we created this big consortium of the cohort of cohort or C4R which is which has more than 50,000 participants these are longitudinal studies when you look at uh the i don't know how to say that how you look at evidence there are some studies that are considered to be better than others longitudinal studies are up there in order for you to understand how diseases evolve what happens before the disease you have to follow people but it's very hard they're very complicated but fortunately for us, we have the C4R. And because my, my mentor is, is amazing, she got me involved. So I was able to, I'm very much involved in setting up the study. We have a lot of, we've been discussing for months about what to do, how to, how to set up the study. And hopefully we are hoping that we'll also be able to understand the risk factors and maybe the long-term effect, so long COVID. So yeah, so I've been doing that and uh, I have to mention it <laughs> that I'm also involved in like uh, the work that I'm really planning on doing is related to biomarkers. So some of these biological samples and trying to understand. And one thing I'm excited is that potentially looking at systemic racism and seeing how that influence, uh, influences biomarkers. We keep, we keep on hearing about systemic racism and inflammation, but how does it, how is it going to play a role in, uh, in COVID-19 and potentially for other diseases? We have the data, we can create something uh, using that and I'm hoping to do something with that later. I'm sorry, I don't know if I thought no, so that much. was amazing. No, that was great. my mind is reeling because I'm so very interested in in what you're doing because I, I my my research is in metabolomics. Right now I'm doing bacterial metabolomics, but I I'm so curious about looking at the metabolic profile of cardiovascular disease and other branches of of that and and how you set up these experiments and and everything. You you You'd be interested to know that I have, <laughs> I'm currently, I have uh, two posters, presentations, one as, at the ISTH and one at uh, the, um, uh, the ISTH and the other one at uh, uh, AP Lifestyle, the American Heart Association Epidemiology, uh, the big epidemiology meeting. One of them, I think the one for uh, AP Lifestyle has to do with white blood counts diabetes, 
and uh, and uh, so the association of and uh, and obesity oh, and obesity and uh, uh, obesity waste uh, and metabolic syndrome basically because there are some people that have metabolic syndrome but they are not obese mm-hmm. so how is the risk how when you compare them to uh to 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 uh to people without uh with metabolic syndrome and uh, and who are obese you can see that the risk is higher but how does white blood count how does it affect that risk what is that the interaction basically those uh those uh relations between uh the the the, the metabolism itself white blood count and diabetes that's my first project for the American Heart Association. And then I have another one looking at D-dimer. D-dimer is the marker per excellence when it comes to COVID, but looking at D-dimer and diabetes. So if you want to <laughs> check out, I'll be Absolutely. there. <laughs> no, you got to plug yourself. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested in like learn, like talking to Black people who are doing this kind of work. Mm. It's so important. You know what, this this conversation is giving me so much life because I never really thought that I could actually bring life to my interest in like systemic racism and how how it is affecting our entire community and communities that are also underrepresented. And I I had no idea that you could combine those in your research, like just seeing this (laughs) happen in front of me, I'm just like, so I can do this, I can do this for real. (laughs) This is, I feel like that's why this conversation is so important for us to be having because I, I feel like people should know that you can be interested in science, you can be interested in in, in cultural ideas and, and, and things like that and combine those two things together and, and let that be what you do. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean I think I think that's a good point because we are always taught that to be a scientist is to be objective. And no doubt that you need to be objective when you're doing the actual science part. But the questions beforehand aren't necessarily they're not if it, was, if it was completely objective, you might not even be asking some of the questions. Like, why would you try to, like, there's no biological race, but yet we're trying to examine why do Black people have, you know, more symptoms of some health out in um, biomarkers than others. And that's a cultural thing that you wouldn't necessarily look at if you weren't trying to be, to answer these questions, if you weren't going off a of life experience. Um, and even that, in thinking about that, um, your research, um, for what you were saying earlier about like the migratory study, you're from um, the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. So I'm guessing that influenced how you started to think about your research. So can you talk about some of that experience and moving from DRC to the U.S. and like some of those things that happened? Yes, definitely. So I, uh, yes, I'm I'm from the DRC, and I I, I guess I've. I've talked about it a little bit, uh, saying how uh, I was basically trained to be the researcher that I am today. So I perfectly understand, and that's why I have I'm so adamant when it comes to when we talk a lot about meritocracy that a lot of things are not about meritocracy. It's about who gets the privileged uh, the privilege to be uh, to be. Uh, basically to be invested in, basically. So when I was in the Congo, my dad is, uh, uh, despite my country being interesting and despite very like having a lot of uh, uh, instability because it's very, very instable, unstable, the country is not 
yeah, it's it's an interesting country. Mm-hmm. But despite all of that, I had a dad who was a mechanical engineer. So I remember being 10 or 8 or 7, 7 or 8, and spending hours with him discussing, talking about uh, physics and math. Nice. And he had hope for me. Like, we had a, a big fight about it. <laughs> he wanted me to become an engineer. I was, I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be an engineer. But... <laughs> That's 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 my first one of the first memories of me feeling that huh something is there, and I knew very young that I wanted to be a, like to have something to do with science. And my first memory was me at six saying that I wanted to be a nurse. And the reason why I said I wanted to be a nurse is because there was a woman uh, in my neighborhood who was a nurse. So. You cannot be what you can, you don't that's see. What, that's what, that, that's what's the first thing I saw as a child that, huh, I want to be like her. But then as when I was in high school, I met a doctor, a woman doctor, one who looked like me. I was like, no, I want to be like her. <laughs> I want to be a doctor. So I started getting interested at this because I, or because of that, I, I, uh, we had in the Congo, the way that education works is that you decide what you want to do with your life early on in high school. So I decided to go with biology and chemistry. So I did biochemistry for uh, in the like uh, 10, 11th and, uh, and 12th grade. And before that, in the ninth grade, I had to decide that I wanted to be a scientist. So I got into sciences and it's uh, intense science. A lot of the classes I took there were like college uh, level classes. So, but the thing is, while I was in the Congo, because it's also a black country with a majority of black people, while I was in the Congo, I was, I had, I excelled at sciences. So there was a lot of people investing, teachers investing in me, spending a lot of time teaching me, spending a lot of time making sure uh, that I had the best education, despite all the limitations, because there were a lot of limitations, despite, despite all the limitations that I had uh, a good education. I remember I went to, for a conference. Um, I went for uh, a competition and like I, I, I had to travel. But the problem was that it was during uh, the state exam, which is, again, another uh, in the United States, you have the uh, the SAT and, and all that, but we have the state exams. And unlike the SAT, you cannot you. It's extremely intense. It's a uh, it's a uh, days of uh, 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 oral exams. So you have two days of oral exams where you have to defend yourself in chemistry and biology in front of people of teachers from other schools. That's the first day. Then you have a day where you have to defend yourself in French and English. And French literature is very complicated. And then you have four days of exams. French, English, and uh, no, uh, I think for us it was math, biology, chemistry, and then French. And uh, those points, the the oral exam, and then the four days of exams, those are 80% of your senior year, uh, for your senior year. You fail, you you fail those classes. You you fail the <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah. You have to take the year, and you're not going to the to university. Mm. So there was a an intense training. It was so intense, but because they invested in me, 
I was about to, I was uh, the second or third in the country no. when it came Sheesh. the state, the state exams. So you see how, and it's partly because, yeah, I, 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 like I was uh, slightly intelligent, but intelligent, but a lot of it was because I was in a black country. I was from, I was a girl from a, a middle-class family. So people saw that they needed to invest in me. Mm-hmm. That's not meritocracy. I did not get there because I was better than anybody or I worked harder. No, maybe I worked, but a lot of it was because of things that were outside of my control. Mm-hmm. And I had a clear understanding of what was happening there. And then when I came to the United States, I started to see the difference. Big difference. So, yeah, that understanding and understanding. Initially, I did not understand because you find yourself in a situation and which is amazing because you de- you develop this sixth sense you something is off you feel that something is off because it's not in your face most of the time it's those microaggressions you cannot you don't understand it like no something is off. why are they behaving this way mm-hmm. what can, why do they talk to me in class but refuse to talk to me outside of class but then I took a class for a semester because I went to a liberal arts college in Iowa back when Iowa was a, a different place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I went to a liberal arts college in Iowa and I took a class on uh, on race in America. Yeah. I had an understanding of race because I'm black, but it was, a, and that's why I'm so thank- thankful for that education. We went deep. It was a lot of reading. It was uh, four times a week, four or five times a week for a month and a half. And it was a lot of reading. And then I took a lot of classes about uh, the African continent and colonialism because what they used to teach us back home is very much rooted in what the Belgians used to say about the African continent. But then I took a different class or different classes to understand what was happening there. So because of that, because I'm like, huh, wait a minute, this is interesting. But what about things that are happening there when it comes to health? What about African migrants? Can I look at what happens to people who come from the African continent and find themselves in the United States? What happens when they become like me, when they become black? Mm Does it impact their health? Then I started looking at it and, uh, and then I told myself, oh, well, this is much bigger. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing for my postdoc because it's so much bigger. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy story, honestly. <laughs> it's, a, it's complicated and men. Um, I mean, obviously representation matters. If oh, nothing yeah. else, I think that's so a very key takeaway. But mm-hmm. also, yeah, it it seems it seems kind of crazy because I think for at least in, in my situation, I didn't kind of learn about these like very subtle, subtle differences in my experience until I was like in college, like halfway in college. Because I think I think our our identity is important when we talk about these things, and and I have, and have no shame of saying that I kind of grew up with this like distorted view of how it. It, what it meant to be black in America and was resentful of that 
for a long time because that's how I, it was programmed to be in, in this culture in, in, in the deep south because like I'm from Savannah, Georgia, which, which is not too deep relative to like Mississippi and Alabama, but mm -hmm. just like this idea of like you are different and this is how you are treated and this is what you deserve to be treated like. It's so subtle and you don't realize it until you, like you are exposed to more more perspectives, I think. And that's why it's so critical to teach about that. And that's why there is a lot of resistance when it comes to that. Because once you understand you want to learn, there's no going back. There was no going back for me because I was like, huh, really? This is what this is all about. No, we are not going back. Right. <laughs> We're not going back. I like that. I like how you put that. Um. So yeah, that that even makes me think about um your work, um being one of the founding members of Black and Cardio, um particularly because you know last year um I'm almost um as a direct result of uh the Black Birders event in New York, um the George Floyd protest, and then here in Georgia we had Ahmaud Arbery, um not too far away, um there's Breonna Taylor. There's a lot happening um within almost almost. We're almost at a year to the day. It's May fifteenth right now as we're recording this. I think, um, I think the Black Birder event in New York happened May twenty sixth, and that same day George Floyd got shot. So we're almost a year to the day now. And as sad as though that that two week period was, and I, I think we all collectively remember it as Black people. Um, one of the most beautiful things that came out of it was the Black and X movement. Um, it started with Black Birders Week. Um, then there was Black and Kim. Um, Black and Noro, there were a, a bunch. Um, Black and Geoscience was another one that I, that was the first one I saw that represented with something that I did. And then um, in February, I helped organize Black and Archeo. But you are a founding member of Black and Cardio. So you, can you tell us about how Black and Cardio came together? Yeah, it's uh, because we all, which is when you look at it, just looking back at what was happening last year, it's it's very intense to realize that we lived through history mm -hmm. and we are part of it. It's, it, it feels very, very intense. But when the, what happened in June and May and throughout the summer mm -hmm. and past the summer <laughs> happened, I, uh, with all of us, we started feeling that something is off. Yeah. You know, we have to speak up because we are, we are entering fields that were never meant for us. We are changing the status quo by just being us. You know, it's it's it was not as uh, clear at, as obvious before, but I think those entire months or the, those multiple months made it very clear. But Black in cardio happened, I think, because somebody on Twitter said, wait, what about black in cardio? <laughs> <laughs> that's, all, that's, all, that's how it always happened. Right. Uh, happens. And uh, one person, one of our member, Stanley, in the UK was like, you know what? Yes. Or somebody tagged him. And Stanley was like, yes, I want to do it. And then I saw his tweet. I'm like, yeah, I'm black in cardio. I'm a cardiovascular epidemiologist. I want to do it. Mm -hmm. So we met and uh, the eight or nine of us uh, 
came together and we put Black and Cardio together and we decided to raise awareness on cardiovascular diseases, but also talk about the science, the amazing science and medicine, because cardio is a lot of, a lot of it is medicine also, that is being done in the field. So we created Black and Cardio, we begged for money. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and uh, we created this this amazing event and we had amazing sponsors and uh, we had amazing speakers. I don't know if you guys saw some of the things that happened with Black and Cardio. We had uh, panels and I think our most recognizable speaker was, I think, uh, the chief of cardiology at Stanford, mm. if I'm not wrong. Okay. Don't quote me on that, but it is pretty up there because there are so few of us in those spaces and uh, it was amazing because we also included people that are not doing the sciences or the stem or the medicine part of it we had uh we created our like exercise routine with a health coach from namibia Allow, and she has this very holistic uh, view of looking at the world, this understanding of uh, the pain, because she, she was in the United States and then she uh, she came for college and then she moved back to Namibia to create her own business there. And she has this understanding, very strong understanding of black trauma, very strong understanding of what is culturally appropriate when it comes to doing physical activity and, and, and all that. And then uh, uh, during the weekend, I'm like, you know what? If we want to do cultural, culturally appropriate physical activity, why don't we do dance? So we had uh, a, a dancer uh, from Congo, but who is actually in the UK, and he came and he taught us to do some dance moves <laughs> on the weekend as part of part of like and cardio. And so we had all of this. We had discussions and we it felt different mm -hmm. and i think that's that's the, the amazing part we created something different that has never been done or that has been done i have we have to be clear that people came where they're way be, people were there before us and we have to recognize their work but work that has been done before but as that has never been recognized to this level mm -hmm. the way that we understand science is different we created uh on, not created but we uh we uh we put a spotlight on a different way to do science and a different way to do medicine and you just you talked about how uh, science is very logical but i do think that issues of systemic racism it's rooted in something that makes no sense when you look at it. It's like, why? Because of, but the way that systemic racism is implemented, it's very logical for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's about not giving them this. And it's, you go, you go at it very logically. When you set up, when you create laws, when you create policies, when you, 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 you create all these different things in medicine, for instance, it was very logical. They justified it as being logical. But it was not fair. It was logical to them. No, like I said. So, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. So basically, that's how we came about. We decided to create Black and Cardio, and we're still there trying to do some events and get involved and get more volunteers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's been going great. Yeah, and there's even um, again like so a lot of these um, Black and X events and communities are even now playing a conference on that.
what the conference mm-hmm. is it's in, in july. In, it's july i'm trying i'm trying to remember the exact days because i know it's not juneteenth it's a little after that yeah 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 um but yeah um even b-side <laughs> is not necessarily um um a black and x organization but we are very proud to um help black and x um we've been helping black and x with some stuff i mean some of us are even part of the black and x communities um without realizing yeah. it and originally like um i hopped out with black and science communication a little bit um like i said i helped organize um the black archaeo and black and science policy a little bit um janae vasha racing who um, was on the podcast maybe a month ago um she's part of black and Oro. she's not a co-founder but um she's helped out and she's presented at black and Oro. um mm-hmm. dr chanel tossin was definitely a um, organizer for um, black and science communication so we were kind of like helping out with stuff and not realizing it we were like oh man this is amazing um so b-side is happy to you know be part of this um, community too like it's it's been great to see like I, the way i think about it is like you know this is truly going to, I, I think in 20 years, when we look back um, and and I do, if, if, if in 20 years, we look back and see like a spike in black scientists from 2020 on, it cannot be because of black and X and that whole movement. It, I just can't imagine like, what else could you attribute that to? Like there was, there has not been like this many black scientists working together on so many different things and representing their own sciences, but also just standing together. There's, I, I can't, I can't think of anything that's been that big. Yeah. Yes. It, it's that, I think that's the amazing part is how we are. That's yeah. And it feels very weird mm-hmm. because I'm looking back at myself when I was in undergrad doing my, my biology uh, uh, degree and thinking, wow, what could have happened if I had seen these people? How much the difference, the type of difference that would have had on my life, on the way that I would have interacted with science? I don't know. Yeah, I I cannot. I would have been way different. I, I didn't think about becoming a scientist until college. Like if, if someone would, have, like you said earlier, like I didn't, I didn't see, um, some I didn't see anybody who was a geologist or a black geologist, and I definitely didn't see a black archaeologist. Those were not things that I saw until me. Like I was the first, I saw me in the mirror, and that was the first time I saw one when I decided to be one. Other than that, I don't remember like seeing any. Um, I remember doing events and thinking like that's cool, but that's not for me because that's not what black people do. And then I finally decided one day that's what black people are going to do. And I'm glad that there's a community like there's Society of Black Archaeology. The National Association of Black um, Geoscientists, but like those were things I found out about later after I made the decision. Like there was nothing like that before. So yeah, it's like you said, representation matters, and I'm glad that we all represent this Black and X movement together. Honestly, yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm very happy about it. I, I think we're we're working in such like distinct fields and and moving and progressing uh, each other, and I feel like at least for me, I know I get very overwhelmed with that sometimes. And it, it's just, it feels like, you know, you're in a room full of white people and, and now all of a sudden you're the ambassador for black people. And, and, and so that for something like that, it gets very overwhelming for me. And I, I'm just like, how do you keep motivating yourself and motivating others to continue to progress in these spaces? 
that's why you have to have your own yeah. people. <laughs> people that understand what you go through. I have this amazing uh, uh, woman of color writing group, and I probably should text her like one of the, 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 the co- I'm meeting with both of the co-organizers today, and hopefully we can meet. We are meeting, definitely meeting. <laughs> uh so i'm uh, <laughs> we are meeting and uh, that writing group has been so instrumental to making me feel good because i've met amazing friends i've met uh people who are willing to listen when you feel like oh my gosh this is too much when you feel like it is overwhelming you can share with them I met people who can keep you accountable. Like I know I've met, I've been missing a couple of writing sessions a lot, mm-hmm. but <laughs> they provide these uh, writing sessions where you just show up. You say like we have like a hundred of us, black women, mostly black women, but also other women of color, and say, okay, I need to write. Is anybody on the Zoom so that you can hold me accountable? And we go there. We have uh, uh, we have a happy hour uh, once a month, and today is the the happy hour. That's why I'm going to meet uh, the co-organizers so can be together and with other members on Zoom. But we meet there and we talk, and it has made such a tremendous difference because having black women having black people so i have that i also have the uh, the black postdoc uh group on slack for me that's my new normal it is normal for me to see these black people doing amazing things it's becoming more and more normal and it has made it has shifted it has shifted the way that I'm thinking about things because I'm not I'm no longer the only one, even though a lot of these rooms I am the only black person, but I'm no longer the only one because I'm like, ah, probably there's another black person doing that. Probably right. <laughs> it feels normal. Mm-hmm. And having normalizing those experiences for yourself, especially in this age of social media and Zoom, use them. Find your people stay with them, be in touch with them, make it so that it feels normal to you. Because it should be, and it is. Right. No, that's wonderful. That's beautiful, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you got any other questions, Jenna? Uh, I mostly, I was just going to ask about all of the different languages that you can speak, but mm. did want to highlight the fact that you are multilingual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I speak three languages, je parle français, minasumoya muswahili, and I speak English. Nice. <laughs> like, you have to start somewhere. Like, speak it. I take pride in being able to read French headlines sometimes. Like, if I'm going, like, on the internet, I see, like, a French news outlet, and I see, and I read it, I'm like, oh, I know what's going on there. But once I read the article, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I should have just stuck with the headline. I don't need this. Type. I don't need to be read like that every day. Like, I just, I just stay away from it. <laughs> but um so this is be scientist and we always ask um near the end of our interviews how do you encourage people to be scientist i mean i find again it's about like having examples of other black 
scientist. You don't have to like you don't have to be extraordinary to to be a scientist. You just have to love it. Mm. Love science. If you are curious and you love sciences, you can be a scientist. That was that was well said. <laughs> Very well said. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this has been great. We got to have you back on one day. You are you are the first person who is a co-founder of a Black and X organization to be on the podcast, and I'm hoping that more of you guys keep coming on. I'm hoping, I, I like I said, I'm just happy to be part of that community. Um, 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 B size starting to, um to plan a magazine. I really want to do like a highlight and feature of like all of you guys because you guys are it's amazing. Like just to be able to help you guys with some stuff is just like. It just makes life better, honestly. I'm just like, this is this is what Black science needs. So I'm happy that you came on the podcast today. Definitely. I'm happy to be here. It was, it was great uh, chatting with you guys. It was really fun. Nice. Um, so thanks again, Jenna. Thanks for always making this podcast. It's nice to have you as a co-host. I, uh, I can never explain that enough. Yeah, no, it's, it's always a pleasure. And I'm so excited to be here today and to have had this discussion because I think it was really mm-hmm. important. Um, and I just hope someone who is listening is like, Oh, finally, I, there's someone that I have, I have the same interest in. So, because that's how I felt today. I, I feel really good about continuing with my interest. So, thank you so much for being Definitely. here. Definitely. Well, thanks, guys, to our listeners. We'll catch you next week. And don't forget to be scientists. Be Scientist is a podcast by the Black Science Coalition and Institute, or BSI, a 501c3 nonprofit. B-Scientist is hosted by both Jenna Carpenter, chemist, and B-Sides Research and Development Officer, and Jordan Chapman, geoarchaeologist and B-Sides President. Music is produced by Delarallo, and lyrics are by Ed Gunner. Special thanks to Michael Mike Castor Marshall and the Plaza Abbey Studios. If you'd like to donate to B-Side, visit our official website, bside.org. That's b-side.org. Your donation supports B-Scientist and B-Sides other projects. We couldn't do it without you. So... Please tune in next time and always be scientists.